Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. Our New Testament reading today comes to us from the book of Acts, the 8th chapter, beginning with verse number 24. Listen once again to the word of God. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with the scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down to the water And Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. I suspect that you already know my answer to the question. Is following Jesus really worth our time? And my answer would be, yes, I think so, I hope so. Uh, Most of the time, uh, uh, most days, But some days, I really am not sure that I want to follow Jesus. Have you ever found yourself in that situation? You're just not sure that you really believe that Jesus is who he says he is. August 28th of this year marks the 60th anniversary of Dr. King's riveting address, I Have a Dream. 
It is perhaps the most eloquent speech in American history. With his remarkable command of the English language, he sketched a vision of a new world, a world where justice flows like waters and righteousness like a flowing stream. He pointed to a day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing together about the gift of freedom. Dr. King's passion was not born in any philosophical theory of tolerance or acceptance or inclusivity. His passion was deeply grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, some six days, some six decades later, we might well consider whether or not his sacrifice actually made a difference. We are more divided as a people now than at any time since the Civil War. Political, economic, and racial polarization ever threaten us. Follow Jesus? Why? What's the point? What good does it really do? But it's not just a lack of progress, change, and transformation that sometimes leads me to wonder if I really want to follow Jesus. More often, it's simply the ubiquity of abject, meaningless suffering in our world. It fills me with doubt about the very existence of God. I had a conversation, conversation over lunch with Tony Campalo a couple of years ago. Do any of you recognize that name, Tony Campalo? He is a leading evangelical scholar um, and activist in our country. And he was a remarkable listener, and he listened to my passions about ministry, my ambitions, my goals. And then I asked him about what challenges he sees ahead of the church and the 21st century, and he said, Patrick, the biggest challenge that we're facing is the reality of suffering. How will we account for suffering when we worship a good, loving, and all-powerful God? I absolutely agree with him. Just this past week, I read about a seven-month-old little girl who was diagnosed with brain cancer. When I read about stories like that, I go, really, God? Really? Are you there? A child has cancer, and yet we are expected to believe, we are invited to believe that you are all-powerful and all-good? That is, of course, the pivotal question of theodicy. So when I see the lack of transformation and change, given the sacrifice of some people like Dr. King, when I see the reality of suffering in the world, I go, I don't know. I don't know if I really want to follow Jesus. I don't know if it's true. And on those days, on those days when I'm grappling with whether or not I really believe in God, thank goodness that we have a passage of Scripture, a story, as we do in this morning's reading from the book of Acts. I need stories like this. And maybe, maybe you do too. Philip is one of the 12 apostles. He's in Samaria. Luke tells us that the Spirit has taken him to the wilderness road from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now that's a strange way for Luke to describe that path. The wilderness road? Scholars tell us that it's not actually in the wilderness at all. Why is Luke describing it as a wilderness road then? <coughs> um, where did Moses encounter God? In the wilderness. And where did the children of Israel sojourn for 40 years? 
in the wilderness. And where was Jesus tempted for 40 days and 40 nights? In the wilderness. Strange things happen in the wilderness. <laughs> Amazing things happen in the wilderness. Powerful things happen in the wilderness. Holy things happen in the wilderness. The Spirit leads Philip to the wilderness. Are we in the wilderness this morning? Are we here? Is this a wilderness? I hope so. I hope so. Philip is in the wilderness, and he encounters the Ethiopian eunuch. He serves the queen. He is her treasurer. He is a high-ranking official, a person of means and power and influence. When he travels, he doesn't fly into Kennedy or LaGuardia, or he doesn't arrive early at the airport only to find out that his southwestern flight had been canceled. No. When the Ethiopian eunuch travels, he arrives in a limo and gets on a Learjet. He travels in style. He starts talking with the eunuch. Uh, Philip is kind of like me in, in this regard, I, I, I think. Uh, uh, some of you know that I will strike up a conversation with pretty much anyone. Uh, Paula is originally from Philadelphia, and since our home is only about an hour outside of Philadelphia, we've gotten to know the area uh, fairly well, and we've gone to what's called the Reading Terminal Market a number of times. It's a wonderful indoor market. A few years ago, we were there. We, we went to get a, a chicken sandwich, of all things. They've got the most delicious chicken sandwiches you've ever tasted. Have you, have you had those, Paula? I mean, they are outstanding. So we got our sandwiches, and we're so happy to go eat our chicken sandwich at the Reading Terminal Market. But the mall was packed that day. All the tables were just filled up, and I looked and looked, and finally I saw one table that had seating for four, but only one woman was sitting there. So I, I walked over to her, and I, I said, excuse me, uh, may we join you for lunch today? Certainly sit down. And so the three of us sat down to eat our lunch, and of course, I like to talk to people, and so I said to her, um, so how is your day going? And she said, well, the CIA is once again after me. <laughs> They're after me for unpaid taxes, and I'm not sure what I'm going to do this time. I, I handled it pretty well last time. I said, well, have you met my wife, Deb? <laughs> I will talk to anyone. But I'm not sure I would have talked to the Ethiopian eunuch. I'm not sure I could have gone that far. For the eunuch really is an outsider. The eunuch is rich. The, the disciples are poor. The eunuch is from Africa. The disciples are from Judea. The eunuch works for a foreign government. He can't be trusted. And the eunuch is, well, he's a eunuch. He's different. I mean, he's physically different. I don't think I could go there, but Philip does. He's in the wilderness, and strange things happen in the wilderness, amazing things, holy things, frightening things, and it begins with an innocent question, what are you reading, Isaiah? Does it make any sense to you? Not really. I need someone to help me understand it. And so Philip gets in the chariot and begins to explain to him the good news of Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed that often Scripture is best read in community when we're together? 
so we can be with people of different opinions, different perspectives, so we can hear their questions, so they can hear our questions. I suspect most of us here this morning, for example, would like to know God a little more intimately, see the work of the Spirit in the world a little more clearly, love Jesus a little more deeply, and the one way we can do that is to read Scripture together. And you know what I've noticed over 35 years of ministry, uh, would you like to come to tonight's Bible study? Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. And I've discovered in listening a little bit that th this normally is... This typically is what happens. Now, I, um, I, I don't know Scripture. I've never really read the Bible. And if I show up at a class, people are going to see how much I don't know, and I'm going to be shamed and embarrassed. And so I'd rather just not go. I'd rather not go to any kind of Bible study. And if that's you, bless you. I get it. But when we come together, even in a chariot, and read Scripture together, wonderful things can happen. For more than 35 years, I have, I've had this struggle with Scripture. I, I, even after so much time, I still feel like a novice. And I argue with it, and I struggle with it, and I fight against it. And sometimes I just want to walk away from it and say, I don't get it. But there's something about Scripture, something in it that conveys the living presence of God, something that shapes me up and challenges me and won't let me go. And that's what's happening this morning with Philip and the eunuch. Both are about to have their lives upended, their eyes open, and their relationship to God stretched in ways that they cannot imagine. Look, there's some water. What's to keep me from being baptized? And here we know that Philip is not a Presbyterian. Because if Philip had been a Presbyterian, he would have gone, well, wait a minute now. Uh, I need to call a session meeting, and I've got to get this approved. Uh, thankfully, the brother's not, not a Presbyterian, but he was a faithful Jew. And even as we have our own book of order, they sort of have the Torah, their own book of order. And if Philip spent some time thinking about that book of order, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, he would have been hesitant to baptize the eunuch. Deuteronomy 23.1 is very, very clear. Very clear. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose penis is cut off shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. So what is Philip to do? What's to keep me from being baptized? Well, Philip, uh, right here, right here in Deuteronomy, it says that eunuchs are not accepted. They're the outsider, and they, want, they need to stay on the outside. We cannot bring them into the inner circle of faith. They've got to stay way out there. So there Philip is out in the wilderness going, oh, my gosh, what we're going to do. He loves the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's getting to know Jesus. He wants to be baptized, but, 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 but it's clear. No, he's not welcome. And then Philip remembers the prophet Isaiah. One noted Old Testament scholar has said that this is the only teaching in the Torah that was refuted and reversed by a prophet. 
And John read that passage for us just a moment ago. Isaiah 56. If you are a eunuch, you are welcome. If you are a foreigner, you are welcome. Come, keep the Sabbath. Hold fast to my promises and know that I have claimed you. Isaiah refutes Deuteronomy to make sure that we welcome the outsider, that we welcome the eunuch. And dare I say it, Isaiah refutes Torah to say we will welcome anyone who is sexually different. Right there in Isaiah. And just a little bit later in that same passage, we heard John read this as well. God makes it very clear. My house shall be a house of prayer for all people. So out there in the wilderness, Philip baptizes this rich, foreign eunuch. So back to the question. Is following Jesus really worth our time? It was one of the saddest situations I have ever encountered. I was 23 years old working as a chaplain in Houston, Texas. I got a call to go down to the trauma unit. A young family was walking across a parking lot and their three-year-old son was hit by a car and sustained a serious neck injury. I rushed down to the trauma unit and went and sat with them. They were undocumented. They were terribly poor. They did not speak English and I did not speak Spanish, but as you know, sometimes words are not necessary. I sat with them, they cried, we prayed. I sat with them, they cried, we prayed, and then we went to see Jose. He was in the ICU, pediatric intensive care. And when we walked in, his eyes actually opened up and his fingers moved and he recognized his parents. And I will never forget the look of the parents as we walked out of the ICU. The father, who was a, a tall, slender man with a, a thin mustache, he had a, a tattered and soiled T-shirt and blue jeans and he wrapped his arm around his wife, and, and I don't know what he said in Spanish, but it was, it was this exclamation of joy and triumph, like, you know, yes! And then I sat down with the doctor, and he said, no, that they had looked at the x-ray, and it showed such severe damage that he was not going to recover. There was no way. And so over the next three days, I continued to visit this family. And I would sit, and they would cry, and I would pray day after day. And then the inevitable came, and Jose died. Awful, meaningless suffering. Made no sense. This family of outsiders twisted by grief, their faces contorted by, by pain and brokenness. It was awful. And while this does not erase the pain, what happened the next day really touched me. 
word got to me that the doctors and the nurses and the staff in the hospital were taking up a collection so that they, they could give it to the family so they could fly back to Mexico and bury their son at home. And I've got to tell you, that got to me. It still gets to me. That kind of display of love and acceptance, their embrace of this family of outsiders. It wasn't that suddenly they made this family in need their project and made a big deal out of it. No, it, it was simply the nurses and staff and doctors opening up their arms to embrace fellow human beings in need. They welcomed them into their community of love. And that got to me. It still gets to me. So there are days, there are days when it comes to Jesus and I say, Lord, I don't know. Some days Jesus just really irritates me and I don't want to talk to him. Some days his people irritate me even more. When they take verses of scripture and abuse it and pervert it to exclude some of God's people. But Philip opened up his heart to a eunuch, a foreigner, an outsider. And that hospital staff opened up their heart to a family crushed by grief, a family of foreigners and outsiders. There is something about the God we know in Jesus Christ that will not let me go. For this God is the God of the outsiders. Jesus was the ultimate outsider. He lived as an outsider. He died as an outsider outside the gates as one who had been rejected by everyone. And yet in Jesus, we meet the God who embraces us in our suffering. Frederick Beekner once said that the gospel is too good not to be true. Amen, Mr. Beekner. For once we know that, once we know that God the outsider died in Jesus Christ for us to be welcomed so that all people can be insiders, once we know that, there's no telling where we might encounter God. We might encounter God in the wilderness with a eunuch. We might encounter God in a hospital with a family. And we might. We might even encounter that God in the wilderness of our church. Amen.